0: Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s, from great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck.
1: Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with Dean Slider, and he wrote a book called Fearless, and I love that title, but I have to be honest, I didn't want to read another book about fear and anxiety and anger and addiction, because so many of those books make me feel depressed, they make me want to become, you know, an addict, they bring on anxiety, they make me mad, they actually evoke the very feelings these books are designed to prevent and i called linda in new york city when i got a copy of this from the publicist and i said linda you got to read this book it's funny it's uplifting it's insightful and it, it it i gotta tell you i wish you guys could see this I have lots of highlights. I have lots of little uh, tabs in here for things that I'm going to incorporate not only in my family, but I'm also going to incorporate in my professional career, because it's very insightful, and it was so much more beyond um, the concept of fear. So the book is called Fearless. The author is with us today. His name is Dean Slider, and Linda, you and I know a little bit about fear. I think
2: everybody knows not a little bit about fear, but a lot about fear. I mean, all of, all of the things um, that we worry about are, are rooted in fear. And, and I'm, what I'm learning about fear is fear is something that we're projecting into the future. It's usually not immediate into this moment, but it's something we're worried about tomorrow or next month or next year. And, you know, it's all these things we do to ourselves because nobody else is doing it to us. We're doing it ourselves and so if we have a way to not do that what a great life it would be it would be such so so much more joyous and so i'm i'm all in i can't i didn't get the book yet but i can't wait to read it
1: well and linda you brought up to me a statement yesterday that i've been chewing on for like at least 24 hours that that babies are born with a fear of loud noises and a fear of falling and that's it and then everything else is acquired in our lifetime so i'm going to bring on dean to join in our conversation because everybody faces fear and fear can be a motivator or fear can absolutely stop us dead in our tracks
3: hi it's great to be here
1: so what motivated you to write a book about fear, especially because your your background really is more meditation, it's more, you know, I wouldn't classify you as a fear expert.
3: <laughs> That's why I would, but I wouldn't. Right, right. And and um, I, I'm not a fear expert in the sense that uh, I, most of my life I've been a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, i 've been very fortunate in my life. Not a whole lot of bad things have happened to me. A few extremely challenging things have happened. Um, but more and more I started to realize that uh, fear anxiety anger addiction are all around us that the people i 've been a, a meditation teacher all over the country really since Uh, It's starting to get embarrassing to say I've been doing this since 1970, Um, since before you were born, I'm sure. And, um, um, And, you know, one of my teachers said early on, you know, when you set yourself up as a teacher of meditation, you're inviting stressed people to come to you. And I've been especially seeing that in the last few years. This word anxiety, I keep hearing it over and over, especially from the millennials. Um, I had a conversation with a a young man a few months ago who came to our, uh, we're based in Santa Monica and we we have Tuesday night uh, meditation sessions open to everyone every other week. And he came to one of our sessions and we went out for some coffee a day or two later. And I said, what is it with uh, your generation, the millennials? He said, we don't know who we are. We don't know what it's all about. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And he shrugged and he said, so we write apps. (laughs) And it was so sad, you know, so that's going on and then. Um, in the middle of my writing the book, the, the election of November 2016 happened, and whatever your politics are, you know, we um, got to say there's been a whole lot of anxiety in the country and in the globe since that night. Uh, it's been a white knuckle ride for a lot of people. They're just lining up at the doors of the therapists. So it just and that really coming in the middle of my writing process, I said, "Okay, this is I'm I'm on the right track here. This is the stuff that's in the drinking water."
1: Well, and I think one of the things you know, and Linda, you can you can share this from your experience growing up in Toronto. I grew up outside of Buffalo, and for a long time we didn't have television. We had then we got a television, and we had like Sue Saint Marie and two stations that went off at midnight. And then you know we didn't have a telephone um, like the kids have today in this constant barrage of, of media messages. And, you know, being in a small town, you only cared about what happened in your small town. And all of a sudden now we're learning what's happening, some atrocity here, some terrible thing there, in an effort to fill up these 24-hour news stations and news that has to play at the gas pump. I mean, really? Do I really need to watch really? the news when I'm pumping yeah. gas? I mean, Linda, the, the, the transference of negative information that feels important is 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 at a ridiculous level.
3: And as a matter of fact, uh, there's a, a, a wonderful quote. Uh, that I have in the book here from a letter from C.S. Lewis, the great uh, Christian uh, essayist and the the writer of the Narnia Chronicles. And this was in a personal letter to a friend. And it was written in 1946 when they'd just gone through the horrors of the Second World War. And now we're seeing the new horrors of the nuclear age. Mm -hmm. And he wrote to his friend, One mustn't assume burdens that God does not lay upon us. It is one of the evils of rapid diffusion of news that the sorrows of all the world come to us every morning. I think each village was meant to feel pity for its own sick and poor whom it can help, and I doubt if it is the duty of any private person to fix his mind on ills which he cannot help. This may even become an escape from the works of charity we really can do to those we know and of course this is even more so in the age of instant news and in the age of facebook and and you, you, we have to know about the horrible things going on in every little village all over the world and we can it's it's all too easy to feel that we're doing something about it by you know writing noble soliloquies on facebook <laughs> So, so the question, and, and often people say, oh, you're a meditation teacher, you're just about tranquilizing yourself and becoming apathetic about uh, what's going on in the world, but it's quite the opposite. It's about becoming um, tuned in, becoming clearer to what can I do, to, what is it that I can do that will help other people and help myself, and what w- will simply add to the suffering, starting with myself, And in fact, this is in a chapter titled, Would It Help? So you may have seen, if you saw the uh, wonderful film um, in, I think, 2015 called Bridge of Spies. uh, It was a Steven Spielberg film uh, starring um, Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance about um, Rudolf Abel, the Soviet spy who was captured in New York City at the height of the Cold War. And he's he's put on trial and... (laughs) Fortunately for him, Tom Hanks is his lawyer Uh, And Tom Hanks comes in for the first meeting with him And he says, you know, uh, the Americans and the Soviets both Would love to see you in the electric chair And Rudolf Abel, the spy, thinks about it for a moment He kind of shrugs and he quietly says, okay And Tom Hanks says, you don't seem upset And he considers that and he says, would it help? So so there's, there's the mantra right there, would it help? You know, I also cite uh, one of my very fam- favorite quotes. If I ever got a tattoo, this, this would possibly be my tattoo. It's, it's a quote from a 6th century Buddhist sage named Shantideva, where mm-hmm. he says, if there's a solution to the problem, what's the use of worrying? If there's no solution to the problem, What's the use of worrying? Right. Or in short, would it help? And sometimes just these, see, this is why it's not just a matter of meditation. And I do go very, as you know, in the book, very deeply into meditation and the most effective way to meditate, which turns out to be effortlessly, just allowing yourself to be pulled into the silence rather than trying to push, which is counterproductive. So I go very deep into that. But I also give these things that are sometimes just that little bit of perspective. Oh, would it help? If, you know, if you know, what's the use of worrying? And you realize you're doing this stuff that you've been choosing to do it so you can choose to stop doing it.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, and I, I just want to jump in about the meditation thing, because after doing hundreds of hours of shows and spirituality and all different types of disciplines, you know, I got so upset over trying to figure out the right way to meditate because everybody had the right the right way and the right mantra and the right way you needed to sit and the right way you need, you couldn't stand you couldn't walk and then i have like a lot of energy so i had trouble sitting still mm-hmm. and you know all this direction which was in in designed you know to help us or designed to sell product who, who knows um
3: <laughs> yeah
1: Came down so simple. That's why I called Linda. I called her up and I said, You're gonna love this guy. It's like you don't need to buy all this stuff. You don't need to do all this stuff. You don't need to sit and stand and, you know, do whatever. It's it's natural and organic. So we're visiting today with Dean Slider. Now the book he wrote is called Fearless living beyond fear anxiety anger and addiction now if you want a copy of this you can go or find out more about the book that we're talking about today fearlessbook.net that's fearlessbook.net and i need to say that no uh proceeds were given for today's show for us to endorse this book this was something that came across my desk and i really liked it and i gotta tell you it's funny it's engaging it's uplifting it's not at all what you would expect about a a book about fear so we're going to be back after the break with more with Dean Slider and Linda Franklin we will be back to talk more about fear and fear less
0: stay with us we've got lots more ahead we'll be right back it's merging.
4: Last night, my husband was laughing as he was reading about the differences between men and women. According to the article, men get single tusks or hiccups more often than women. Everyone knows that women are better at multitasking than men. I'm good at both multitasking and procrastinating. Which means right now there are 28 things that I'm putting off until later. What's another word for a person who puts everything off until the last minute? A conctator. Women blink nearly twice as much as men. And while men can read smaller print than women, women can hear better. In fact, when a woman says, what? She heard you. She's just giving you a chance to change what you said. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you
5: never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
3: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: CNN reported on a study by the National Center for Health Statistics that found that teenage males were the most frequent consumers of sugary drinks, including sodas, sweetened waters, and energy, sports, and fruit beverages. They guzzle about 252 to 273 calories every day from various drinks. The intake of these sugary drinks has multiplied over the last 30 years. When soda pop was first invented, it was an extravagance that most people had every once in a while. But now it's a daily fixture in American life. And whether they are sold in fast food drive-ups, vending machines, convenience stores, or other venues, sugary drinks are easily accessed. Cutting out these drinks is a vital part of healthy living. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook.
0: We're having a great discussion. Let's get back to it.
1: Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin, and we are here today talking with Dean Slider, and he wrote the book Fearless. And let's talk about meditation because one of the things that i found as i i took my news fast and my tv fast and i I made a concerted effort a couple years ago to watch only funny, uplifting TV. So I watch Frasier. I watch reruns of Friends. I'll watch some new comedy show, as long as it's not negative and hurtful comedy. And I started meditating. And, you know, you guys can go listen to old shows to chronic my epic failure in meditating until I finally figured (laughs) out what worked for me. But I'd like to talk to Linda about her first meditation experience.
2: Well, my first meditation experience was was pretty interesting. I ha, it was in the 70s. I think I, re, I remember seeing the Maharishi on, I think, Merv Griffin. and I, And he was sitting there, you know, in a lotus position, and he was all wise and, you know, in his white robes. And I said, oh, my God, I think that I need to do this. And then lo and behold, he came to New York to teach a weekend meditation seminar. So I said, oh, I've got to go to this. My friends on Wall Street thought I had, had gone over the deep end, but I said, no, I'm going to go do this. So I went, and we had the whole ritual and with the flower, and you got your mantra, which was so sacred, and I was so excited. And so after after the day, I ran home to practice my meditation, and I got home, and I locked myself in the bedroom, and then... I came out and I was crying and and my husband said, What's the matter? I said, I forgot my mantra. I (laughs) said I'll never be able to meditate. And it's like this big secret thing. No one you know, they won't be he said, I'll get you your mantra. So we I don't know how we done we called up and they whispered my mantra. On the on the over the telephone, so that I could go and do it. So that was my first meditation experience with the Maharishi, uh, the Maharishi.
3: Wow! You you know that in the in the film Annie Hall, Jeff Goldblum appears at a party and he has one line. He's st- he's on the telephone and he says, uh, "I forgot my mantra."
2: <laughs> yeah, it was devastating. You know. But um, I've I've never forgotten it since it was whispered over the telephone. And I do use it on occasion. But Mm -hmm. I'm not the greatest meditator in the world. And I'm kind of in your camp. I have to make it simple. If I can just sit there and just focus on my breathing and whatever happens, happens, I'm okay.
3: You know, one of the things that I talk about in the the book's meditation section is what I call on-ramps. Mm -hmm. on ramps to meditation which can be as you say putting the attention I don't even like to say focus on the breathing because that sounds like too much work I'm way too lazy for that so I just say rest the attention on the breathing or rest the attention on some object uh, in the room, or rest the attention uh on uh, a, a sound like the mantra uh, could be anything and but then we just use that transitionally because we've been running around town right you know doing thousands of things, so now we just do one thing for a few minutes, rest the attention in this one thing, but then let that go. You know the whole point of the on ramp is you get on it to get off it to get into the express lane of where you're not really doing anything at all. You're just being. And in fact, the the big uh, confusion that most people have about meditation is they're trying to make the mind settle down. Now, that's a contradiction in terms, because if you're trying to make the mind settle down, that trying itself is an unsettled situation. So, the the section that section of the book is called settling happens instead we just maybe take some on ramp for a few minutes and then just be and allow the mind to settle on its own terms in its own time in its own way it's none of our business it's it's just realizing I'm not in the driver's seat I'm in the passenger seat I'm along for the ride and well, as a I- matter of, and and let me just mention yeah. that on my on my website. Um, th- th- I have a page of uh, guided meditation audio tracks, and people can stream them completely for free. Because it may sound like, wait, wait, that sounds too simple. How can I just be? So, in those those audio tracks, I guide you in doing that. I'm kind of there as the training wheels, and then you know, do it that way a few times, and then you'll have it. Also, let me mention that the for people who are listening live, uh, the book is actually being published on March 20th, uh, but you can pre-order it now through Amazon or go to to my website fearlessbook.net and and pre-order it so so you'll get it on publication day. I just don't want people to be disappointed that they can't have it tomorrow. You can read chapter 1 on my website or you can do that now.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. And I you know, I want to support with that you know the the guided meditation because when i was a, a couple of years ago i had a lot of trauma in my life i had some real difficult challenges with 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 death with divorce with with a, you know not my addiction somebody else's addiction but but it affected me and my kids and i had so much fear and so i actually had to rely on guided meditations because that could get at least me from like above my head to like my eyebrows like of of the crazy thoughts that kept coming in it brought my whatever anxiety whatever it was down and it took me listening to these guided meditations every night I, i i used them like a vitamin like you take your vitamin in the morning i would listen to these guided meditations at night for 45 minutes to kind of calm my nerves retrain my brain to stop Because when you come out of a trauma situation, you have these unbidden thoughts that come that are triggered. And you're not even aware of it till they're all swimming around in your head. So here I was trying to work this down, but I kept trying to sit still and just do it the way all these experts were saying. And it was a huge failure. So to start with the guided meditation, at least for me allowed me now years later i can sit quietly and do that but i couldn't do that at that point so i think it's about doing what works for you especially when you're in the grip of fear i'm going to go over to linda in new york
2: yeah no i would like to talk more about the fear because the book is called fearless and we all want to be fearless um and i want to ask you sandra what you said you love this book i want to ask you what you like most about this book
1: Okay, I like... There's a couple things that I really liked about this book. Number one, I liked the chapterlets. I liked that they were little baby chapters, because for me, a single full-time working mom to sit down and read a 50-page chapter makes me want to slit my wrists. So, I can just take a chapterlet, which is like 8 or 10 pages, and then the other thing I really liked about it, it was one high concept per chapterlet. So, there was one point that he was making, the title matched the point, so I know what the chapter was about, which in a lot of books they don't. You read a whole chapter and you go, you throw a bunch of stuff at me, and I don't really know what to focus on or what to do with it, so it becomes noise and I throw it away. So the idea that the title matched the the high concept of the chapter lit, and then the other thing that I found was it was very simple to read. There was a lot of white space. And I'm not saying this as a beginner book by any means, but it allowed me to take a breath while I was reading what I was absorbing. And he walked us through these guided meditations. And for me, I hear words in my head. So to read them and absorb them and hear them in my head allowed me to absorb and acquire this information and actually use it it's too too um too many of these books are are just they're just not effective and i thought this was really effective and in There's a whole section in here about resting bliss face, which if anybody knows what resting bitch face is, like, if you're under the age of maybe 40, you'll know what resting bitch face is. It's these, it's, they're memes that are around the internet, and they take pictures of celebrities, and, you know, God bless them, they're photographed all the time, but every once in a while they're photographed, like, making a bored face or making a snotty face, and so... It made me aware of my own resting bitch face <laughs> and what a difference the resting bliss face could be. And here's a quote from um, the, the Vietnamese Zen master, and I'm not going to pronounce his name. I'm going to let the dean pronounce
3: his name. Thich Nhat
1: There we go. Sometimes your joy is the source of your smile. But sometimes your smile can be the source of your joy. And I chewed on that for days. And I highlighted a couple other things in here. And my favorite line is you get an instant squirt of endorphins, which produce general positivity. So you fear less, anger less, crave more, um, crave less, sorry, and so forth. And that's just from a smile. <sighs>
3: <laughs> and, and by the way, that um, understanding goes all the way back to Charles Darwin. He first put forth what he called the facial feedback hypothesis, which is a fancy way of saying sometimes the smile can be a source of your joy. So, but what I tell people about all this stuff throughout the, the whole book and through all my teaching uh, is, I, I quote my favorite words from the Buddha, which is, come and see. In other words, check it out. Scientific method. See what works for you. Not come and believe. Not come and hope. Not come and theorize. Do something. See if it works. So, um, uh, I give a couple of strategies for smiling in a way that's authentic. Because when you just try to plaster it on your face, you know it can be it can be weird. And and my favorite way personally is we were talking before about mantras. Here's my favorite mantra. Which is wee.
1: Yes. Oh, that made me laugh out loud like a lunatic in a public place. <laughs>
3: you
1: said it's impossible to be whatever depressed or stressed. when you let, make the sound wee. Yes.
3: <laughs> but, okay, ready, let's do it. Oh, and you have to, along with the mantra is the mudra, the proper hand position, which is throwing your hands up like like, yeah, there. so So let's do it one more time. One, two, three. Now, try to be depressed. You can't can't do it. So this is the working mantra of, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be married to a wonderful woman. And uh, this is the working mantra of our marriage. Like, honey, the toilet is stopped up again. Whee! (laughs) And then you, you know, call the plumber or get the plunger or whatever. It doesn't mean you become apathetic and let the toilet run over
1: oh i love that okay i gotta take us a commercial break uh my name is sandra beck i'm here with linda franklin the book of the hour is fearless living beyond fear anxiety anger and addiction by dean slider it's available in the coming weeks so you guys can pre-order a copy or get your copy online fearlessbook.net is the website we'll be back after the break
0: Stay with us, we've got lots more ahead. We'll be right back.
3: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond.
5: Have you ever wondered what happens in your body when you exercise? Discovery Health explains that the muscles provide the strength, power, and endurance to do the movements and exercises. Enzymes within the muscles mobilize various fuels to provide ATP to meet the energy demands of the working muscle. The heart and the blood vessels increase the blood flow to deliver more oxygen to the working muscles. And the lungs increase the rate of breathing to deliver more oxygen to the muscle. The more often you exercise, the more conditioned you become. On the other hand, lack of training causes them to atrophy. So don't settle for being a couch potato, it's time to get your body moving. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com.
4: I managed to run out of coffee again this morning. I didn't even have enough to make one cup. Boy, was that a miskebobble or big mistake. Because I make serious coffee, so strong it wakes up the neighbor's. Now, I don't have a problem with caffeine. I have a problem without caffeine. I get wadgety and brickety. Did you know apples are more efficient than coffee for keeping people awake in the morning? Unfortunately, I didn't have any apples either. Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. Without my hot cup of coffee in the morning, I'm feeling pretty squirrely myself. What do you call that piece of cardboard that wraps around your coffee cup to keep from burning your hand? A zarf! It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app to Funny for Words.
0: We're having a great discussion.
1: Let's get back to it. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we're visiting today with Dean Slider. The website you want to go to is fearlessbook.net. You also want to get a copy of this book, Fearless: Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. But I gotta tell you, this is not your typical, you know, self-help book. It's funny, it's light, it's insightful, and um, just make the sound wee and go buy it. So, Linda. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted
2: to ask Dean if he was doing any work with our veterans. Uh, I know David Lynch is very big into the, into doing that, um, especially here in New York, and it's apparently the results have been really, really terrific. And these these men and women that are coming back need it so much because they've seen so much and there's there's so much trauma and fear going on inside of them. Um, so I was just questioning, have you worked with this group of people?
3: Yeah, I'm very much aware of the the work that the Lynch Foundation has been doing. A couple of my actually oldest teaching meditation teaching buddies, going back to the '70s, uh, are working closely with David. Uh, I'm not doing anything, um, you know, uh, in an organized way for veterans per se. But what I do is uh, I offer. Uh, Tuesday night meditation here in Santa Monica every other week which is open to everyone uh, and it's it's completely for free so if you're uh, in the Los Angeles area by all means check out my website get the information and, and come on down and all kinds of people come We um, get we get people here who work in the entertainment industry we get people who are um, who are addicts in recovery and sometimes there's overlap between those two groups um yeah those are not mutually exclusive groups right we we get we get uh veterans and yeah the you know um, it really really is ptsd uh it, it, it's it's the medicine for that um let me tell you a quick story which is in the book about um addiction Uh, because a number of the local people in the recovery community have sort of discovered our meditation sessions and started bringing their uh, friends, their buddies in sobriety. And um, one night a few months ago, a young girl, maybe about 20, uh, came to the session, sat quietly, did the meditation, left didn't say anything came back two weeks later did it again and at the end of the second session she was about to go out the door and she very quietly pulled me over she said i just wanted to tell you i'm a heroin addict i've been in recovery for six months the meditation tonight was so deep and blissful and healing i didn't think i could ever feel like that again in this lifetime without drugs and you know, I hear things like that. First of all, I, I'm trying not to cry, <laughs> and, and uh, secondly, it's just such an affirmation that yes, this is that. This is what the sages, the enlightened sages, have been saying for thousands of years. That the deep level of healing. You know, if you drive around L.A. and probably most major cities, you can usually tell where the uh, 12-step. Meetings take place because you see the people out on the sidewalk, out on break, smoking cigarettes. Yes, which is, you know seems to be the the drug of choice for people on the twelve step program, and they, they most of them acknowledge that they laugh about it. But if you look at the numbers, you know people are so upset about the opioid crisis, which is obviously a crisis, but cigarettes kill in this country approximately ten times as many people as opioids. Mm-hmm. So. To me, that's an indication of, okay, tackling one addiction at a time, that, that's a big order, I understand that, but the fact that the, the cigarette addiction is still there, to me, is an indication that the deep healing, the deep root problem has not been addressed and we know how to address it the sages have been telling us that for thousands of years how to address it and it's simply to sink into that silence which is already in you which already has been your the core of your being all along jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you not could be someday if you're good. Not will be up in a cloud after you die. The Buddha said Nirvana is within you. More, you know, slightly different language, but they all said it's right there. It is your own nature. And once someone shows you how to just, just you know, r- relax a little bit and take that first step inward, and then oh, it just because we're automatically attracted to it, we're just pulled in automatically. And and this is why, by the way, um, I found that I'm able to teach this to all kinds of people. You know, I do workshops all over the U.S. I don't like that word, workshop, because it's not work. It should be a playground, I guess. Right, um,
1: so that point you make in your book, that's another point. I'm just going to jump in here and, and tell my yes. point. <laughs> You mentioned this girl or guy, I don't know, in your book that came to you, and I could see like 20 of my friends in this person. Oh, I'm working up to 45 minutes meditation. Okay. Right.
3: Because
1: it's, you know, first of all, you made the concept that it shouldn't be work and you shouldn't have to work up to it. But, you know, yoga and meditation, especially in LA, it's competitive. You know, and you see, you know, you're in a yoga class, and you'll see the one with the eye open. You know, are you bending right. over farther than I am? And right, right, right. you know, it's the same thing in meditation. But you called it, you called a spade a spade. This is not supposed to be work. It's
3: not supposed to be hard. Yeah, and it's not about sitting in your picture perfect yogic posture because no one's taking pictures, no one cares about it, no one's giving you a grade except yourself. And when you stop giving yourself a grade, it's such a relief. Mm-hmm. And when you stop trying to work up from 40 minutes to 45 minutes, I tell people, throw the, I oh, got watch my, throw the damned clock <laughs> out of your meditation space just you know if you need to set in a little alarm so because you have to get to work have to get to school that's fine set a quiet alarm on your phone or something but otherwise for you know people say how long should i meditate i say well how long do you walk on the beach with the one you love how long do you put on your headphones and listen to your favorite music right but what what those things have in common is that we enjoy them we we right enjoy we we sink into joy and and it seems as if time isn't there yes that's the spirit that, in which we approach meditation natural meditation which by the way is the the title of my last book natural meditation natural is the key
1: but i do find like you know i am a single mom i do have young children i do care for my 84 year old dad so i have a lot of responsibility in the morning and i will tell you that I do set my timer on my phone because I have a lot of other obligations in the morning because I I could sit in meditation for 25 minutes and nobody gets breakfast, nobody gets to school. Um, But I do find there seems to be a magic around the 10-minute mark, and I don't know if there's any physical reason for that, but if I can just get a minimum of 10 minutes or, you know, five is okay, but it takes me about 10 minutes to settle down. It, It takes me a couple minutes just to get settled to settle down you know because i'm going at such a pace Mm -hmm. so it's not i want people to know it's not like you just flick a light switch and all of a sudden you're like in meditation land like for me i need to sit down i need to take a couple breaths sometimes i have my cup of tea and i just go until i can even get into that
3: point yeah and that's largely it's it's the body settling down Mm -hmm. um uh and that'll be different for different people some people will, might be in, um, you know, my wife and I have a tradition. When we sit down to a meal, we close our eyes for a moment. And we've both been meditating for a lot of years. In fact, we met on a silent meditation retreat. Yeah. And when, uh, and I close my eyes for that moment uh, before the meal, I'm just like, oh, yeah, right here, right here. Um, but, you know, I'm on the varsity team uh you know I've been doing this since since the last millennium uh but and, and the whole idea is eventually you don't even have to close your eyes more and more you realize oh that you know why should you have to sit and close your eyes in order to experience what you are in your deepest core? Just you know more and more what happens is you you come to recognize you get that taste of that silence in in fact, I sometimes compare it to. You know, in the old prison movies when the when the prisoner escapes and um, the uh, uh, they get the they bring the hounds in they 're going to have the hounds go search for the prisoner, so what they do is they take by the way, my wife tells me not to use this metaphor she says it 's gross but she, she 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 ain't here right now so what they do is they take the the prisoner the escaped convict's smelly sock and give it to the hounds to smell and then they set the hounds loose and they go Whoa! they go running across the field and the river and they, and they and they find him so in a sense meditation is like having that concentrated you know couple of minutes a day of getting the scent and then more and more as you go running across the fields of your busyness and taking care of your children and your parents and your work and all that more and more you're picking up the scent of that silence Mm -hmm. running through everything you do you're you're anchored in that no matter how busy you are no matter how challenging your life is
1: well, and it shows you what to seek. Like in the beginning, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to feel or experience. And then, you know, it was like when you get a massage and they hit that spot and you're like, ooh. And then you're like, oh, that feels really good. And you relax. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it kind of goes deeper and deeper. That's kind of, you know, at least what my experience has been. Linda, you have a question? Yeah, i um-
2: uh, Dean, Sandra and I both have been on this quest for many years now, me longer than, than she, but um, of higher consciousness. And I think we're hearing that a lot more these days um, than we ever have before, which is a very good thing. And if and meditation can take you to that place of higher consciousness within you where the answers come. And you get when you get out of your head and open up your heart, I think magic happens but it's not something that you can you, you can imagine until you experience it
3: yes I, I, I absolutely agree uh, and you know the, there's there's different kinds of language we can use for these things uh, and some people will very much relate to language like magic happens and I, I, I might use that language with some people when I give a workshop for corporate CEOs I might not... Use a word like magic so much. I might say clarity, mm-hmm.
0: and
3: because the the words um, the words don't matter except for using words that people can relate to, and then and that will inspire them to do the practice, and then they get the experience, as the Buddha said, "Come and see." And they go, "Right, that, that, that thing." Um, and and but but Linda, you're absolutely right. For the most part, people are so caught up in their own thoughts that they don't see the simple reality that's in front of them. It's as if they're looking at the world through a window that's had a lot of graffiti spray-painted on it, and they're mixing that up with the world. An example that I give in the book, which is... um, Oh, you know what? I need just
1: just a commercial break. We'll be right back. We'll be right back.
0: You
4: Did you hear about the Gabberlunzi bear caught rummaging through a refrigerator in an apartment in Colorado? The tenant heard noises coming from the kitchen and saw a bear with his head in the fridge looking for anything it could eat. What's a word for food that's unfit for human consumption? My wallop. The tenant locked himself in his bedroom and called for help. What's a word for the fear of Bears ursophobia. We have lots of bears near our Colorado cabin, and we have been told that pepper spray will keep them away. But the idea that it would keep a 500-pound grizzly bear from attacking seems ridiculous to me. I think I'll try the pepper spray in myself and hope the bear doesn't like spicy foods. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
3: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: Low-fat foods can be healthy or unhealthy, depending on what you choose to eat. Whole foods like vegetables, fruit, beans, rice, and potatoes are all low-fat and good for you. Processed low-fat foods are a different story. Eat This, Not That says that the term low-fat is synonymous with loaded with salt and cheap carbohydrates. Many times when the fat is taken out, it is replaced by unhealthy ingredients that are not good for you. The New England Journal of Medicine found that over a two-year span, people on low-carb diets lost 62% more body weight than those on low-fat diets. It's always important to keep your fats low while choosing good, healthy foods to eat. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. We're
0: having a great discussion. Let's get back to it.
1: Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Linda Franklin and we are talking about fear and meditation and some different things we can do to make our lives more enriched happier more fun and enjoyable i mean that's what we're here for isn't it the book is called fearless living beyond fear anxiety anger and addiction by dean slater you can find out more about the book on fearlessbook.net now dean we had to cut you off at commercial break i want to give you a chance to finish your thought.
3: Right. We were talking about the way people tend to see the world through the overlay of their own thoughts. And one fascinating piece of research, which I cite in the book, is that they had people look at photographs of men. And some of the men were Caucasian, some of the men were African-American. And they asked the people who looked at the photos to estimate the, the height and weight of each person. And what they found was that consistently the, the people judging the photos, if the, if the person in the photo was black, they thought he was bigger and heavier than the white person who was exactly the same size and weight. And they found that that was true whether the person judging the photos himself or herself was black or white. Now, it seems to me that this has something to do with a lot of the tragic encounters that, that we keep having in the cities of, of African-American unarmed people being, um, you know, in some cases shot and terrible things being done to them by police. And it's coming back again to, to fear that the at least part of the situation is that the cops are scared but part of the problem is that they don't have the the clarity to see, at, like all of us to some degree, not having the clarity to see what's in front of you because you mix it up with your thoughts. And one exercise, one chapter in the book is titled Drop Your Thoughts. This is one of my favorite exercises. It's so simple, which is you just, if you want, you can clap your hands in front of your eyes. Just go, and for five seconds, just drop your thoughts just try they, It doesn't mean you have to your mind has to go blank you, the thoughts don't have to go away just relax your grip on them just it's like the the motor can still be running you just disengage the clutch and just and you do that a, a, a few times a day or a bunch of times a day and then fine five seconds then it all comes back uh but every time you do that the thoughts are losing some of their grip on you they're losing some of their power over you you're punching little holes in that power
2: go linda here's something else that i'm i'm doing these days too um i have a thought and we all have this mind chatter and the mind chatter makes no sense at all and if you if you just stop to listen to it you'd see it's just it's it's Crazy, um, and so when I have a thought, I'm saying, "Where's this thought coming from? Is this an ego-based thought, or is this a heart-based thought?" And most of the time, anything that's coming on your head that makes no sense is ego-based, and then I can dismiss it easily because I know it's it it doesn't hold much much weight because it's it's coming from my ego, which really doesn't hold much weight at all. Yeah. So I, I kind of like separate them and I say, does this mean something or is it is it just my ego acting up because it, it wants to show me that it's in charge?
3: Right. Yeah. And that that's one way to do it, one way to kind of see through the thoughts. Um, we know that trying to push away the thoughts or suppress the thoughts doesn't work. Anyone who's tried to meditate in a, in a style of, of suppressing thoughts you know, has discovered uh, that Perhaps painfully that it doesn't work. So it's about seeing through them. My favorite way is to just say, you know what? They're just thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts. They're like, it's like, the I, I like your use of the word chatter. It's like the chatter at the other tables in the restaurant. You can be sitting there at your table having a nice conversation with your, your, your friend, and the fact that all those conversations are going on at the 49 tables around you doesn't, it, it doesn't matter because you're not engaging with them. Now, if suddenly you decide that that's a problem and you go around trying to shush the people at the other 49 tables, then that's how most people try to meditate. <laughs> and it and it doesn't work, and it's how most people try to suppress the the thoughts that they find uh you know afflictive or bothersome during the day that doesn't work, but if you just go, you know I've lived for thirty three years in New Jersey, and we have a wonderful mantra in New Jersey, which is you may have learned this one from the sopranos, forget about it. <laughs>
2: Forget about it. Forget
3: right? about it. So just forget about it. You can clap. You can say forget about it. You can clap your hands in front of your eyes for five seconds. Just drop it all. Drop it. Drop it again. The thoughts are just thoughts.
2: Right. Sometimes I refer to them as clouds. You know, they're just going to pass by. And you know what? I've learned a lot from my from my, um, from my my dog, Lucy, as well, because, you know, they're so focused on something, and then you change it, and they're... They, they forget what they're just thinking, and they're focused on the new thing. So if you change that and focus on this new thing, whatever it is that you want to focus on that's more beneficial than, than mind chatter, it works.
4: Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, the, uh, believe me, the, 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 the dog is the guru. You take, <laughs> you take the dog for the walk. You, you want to know about being here now, being present. You take your, your dog for a walk, and, okay, now it's rock. Now it's Squirrel. and and now it's squirrel the rock is is gone I actually have a chapter in the book uh, called The Sweetest Dog in the World because you may have noticed that that dogs are they're the best listeners and it's a it's a kind of meditative exercise which we won't go through the whole thing right now but where you sit and mentally close your eyes and you pour out whatever the thing is that you're caught up in whatever your anxiety or your anger whatever your your story is As my my mother would say whatever your your whole mishagas. and you just <laughs> you just pour it out and and just let that sweet dog just absorb it through his or her sweet sweet doggy eyes into his <laughs> or her sweet sweet doggy heart and they're just evaporated into space
2: oh man they're the best shrinks in the world
3: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely
2: Yeah, and I, I you know we're talking about heart open before and um, she has been very very big uh, in helping me be heart open because you can't have a, a dog that you love and, and, and not have that affect your heart
3: I saw a wonderful bumper sticker once that said, Dear Lord, please make me the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, we're, we're definitely dog people here.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, and I've, I've tried to adopt that, you know, the best dog ever. You know, I think of Sally, my golden shepherd. She's golden retriever, German shepherd, and she will just sit at me with these eyes and mm-hmm. listen no matter what I say, and then she comes and gives me a hug. And I I really – that's another one of those, you know, things that I've adopted to say, you know, when you're with the people you love – adopting like you know for me to be my golden retriever and just sit there and listen you know thoughts are just thoughts some of those thoughts are expressed out loud it doesn't mean they're written in stone just because somebody said it
3: yes and and especially when you're with a friend or a loved one who is going through a, a, a difficult time and they're pouring out their troubles to you and often in that situation, we'll tend to, as we're sitting there, it's like, okay, i got to think of something wise to say. I have to think of something helpful to say. And sometimes the best gift that you can give is don't try to think of anything. Just be the dog. Be the therapy dog. Be that wide, open, loving space. Just look at them with those those eyes of love and absorb it into your heart and, and just evaporate it out into space. Um, there's actually, you know, the, I, I studied for a long time with the Tibetan llamas and and they have some very fancy... Um, practices that are essentially, that's what it comes down to, absorbing. They do it with fancy visualizations where you see the other person's problems as like hot, smelly, noxious smoke coming out of them, and you absorb it into their heart and turn it into pure white light. Um, uh, we can do all these things. So so meditation, you know unlike the stereotype, it's not some kind of emotionally selfish thing. One of my teachers once said, For the light bulb to light up the room, it first has to be illuminated within itself. And, and my parents were political activists, and they always had friends over at the house having political meetings about how they were going to change the world and, and bring peace to the world. And it was so idealistic, but I could see that a lot of them, they didn't have peace within themselves. And, and pretty, at a pretty young age, I started to realize this is part of what put me on my quest. Okay, I've got to find this peace within myself for me to kind of fulfill what my parents are teaching me to do here, which is to help the world.
2: Yeah. If everybody just worked on themselves and found that peace inside of them, um, it it just transfers out because you you know the people that are around you are affected by you. And if it's if it's good and it's it's heart open, it's yep. it's gonna spread. And you know we won't we wouldn't find ourselves in the in some of the messes that we are today if everybody would just focus on themselves to do the best they can do for themselves.
3: Yep. Charity begins at home.
1: Yeah, and let things go. Yeah, like that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, just because somebody posts it in social media and they said it doesn't mean we have to respond. Doesn't mean we have to have a huge campaign. Doesn't mean you need to agree with me every minute of the day. You know, some days we just say stupid things.
3: Yep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. I know I do.
1: (laughs) But something comes out of your mouth, you're like, wow, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Right. And, you know, you hope that the people around you, you know, give you that latitude or just let that, you know, stupid comment, you know, blow by. And if you do, life is so much easier because you might carry that comment for months and the other person isn't even aware they said it that happens to me a lot I say things I think they're funny but somebody may not find them funny and then I find out like four years they've been carrying this thing that I said you know hurt their feelings or like that girl that called me that she knew me in kindergarten said I bullied her
3: oh jeez. You know?
1: I didn't uh, even know I bullied her I mean I apparently made some yeah. comment and, in kindergarten. And,
3: you, and you know another aspect of it is that um, and I tell the story in the book. I was giving a workshop in Northern California, and one woman in the workshop, in in the middle of the thing, she suddenly had this very kind of shocked look on her face, and uh, and and she told me afterward. She said, "I suddenly realized that the thing that I've been carrying around as the fundamental wound, the central emotional wound of my whole life, was which was something that." a friend did to me early, early on, I realized it actually never happened that way. And I've been carrying this around for nothing. Well there and you know you- what we're and you know what? Even today. hold on, even I got to take this to commercial break. Okay,
1: we'll have to have you back. There's so much to cover, but I want to give people the opportunity to get your book, Fearless. Or is it Fearless or Fearless?
3: Fearless. Two words because Super. it's too much work to try to be fearless. No one's fearless. You just fear less, and then things are already better.
1: Okay, check it out at fearlessbook.net.
0: Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.